Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each week, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency taxation. Our guests all have a unique perspective or expertise related to cryptocurrency taxation. Our guest today is Alex Kugelman, a San Francisco-based tax controversy lawyer. He represents individuals and businesses on audits and litigation with IRS and other tax agencies. Alex will be sharing his expertise on IRS cryptocurrency audits, including risk reduction strategies, as well as enforcement predictions and misconceptions. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sal. No problem. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your expertise? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm an attorney out in uh, California. Um, Kind of my background is uh, I clerked for a U.S. District Court judge and as well as a uh, United States tax court. Um, been in private practice, uh, exclusively doing tax controversy work for the past five years or so, and uh, kind of got involved with crypto towards the end of 2016 and been representing clients, mainly with kind of compliance and disclosure issues with respect to cryptocurrency. And I uh, just really like it, really interesting area. So you've had some clients that you've uh, dealt with uh, cryptocurrency related audits? I've had that. And, you know, kind of what started me into the crypto space actually was when the the IRS first issued its summons to Coinbase, we started getting some interesting calls regarding that. And I, I kind of at that time, I thought to myself, this might be an interesting area. So I started following the actual summons enforcement proceeding at the district court here in San Francisco. And, um, you know, from there, kind of worked with people under you know, for different types of compliance, including international disclosures. And uh, now we're starting to see some of uh, the first cryptocurrency audits come through. Right. It's certainly going to be a useful service for those who are audited. So I'm sure it's going to be some interesting information you're going to give us. Yeah, I'll do my best. Great. Uh, can you start off by giving us basically an overview of IRS audits in general? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's important to understand, you know, the IRS is this um, administrative agency and all different layers of it. And so when it comes to an audit, um, the term that the IRS use is an examination. And there's kind of three basic levels. Uh, one's a, a correspondence exam. And that's where you get a letter that says, you know, dear taxpayer, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so reported that you had $100 of interest income. Uh, that wasn't on your tax return. Um, we're going to increase your, your tax. Um, if you want to challenge this, you can. And that's um, basically termed an under-reporter notice. That's probably not going to be a cryptocurrency audit if you get that notice. Okay. Next one is an office exam. And what that is, is a someone in a local IRS office sending you a letter that says, we have selected a certain tax return for audit, and we're going to look at these issues. We'd like you to call us and to uh, schedule an appointment. Okay. And that's going to be usually a tax compliance officer that is doing that. Um, the third and probably the most serious level of exam is a field examination. And that's also going to be a local IRS representative, typically a revenue agent. And uh, there, the revenue agent uh, may come to your work or ask to come to your work or business to kind of conduct the audit. All three of those are going to start the same. And that's going to be a letter that's sent to you um, at your most recent uh, address provided to the IRS. And one of the things you can do if you get one of those, you're trying to figure out what kind of audit it is, is usually there's a, a letter or notice number on the top or bottom right corner. You can Google that and go on the IRS website and find what type of audit it is. And that's what starts the, starts the, the fun process. <laughs> kind of thereafter, they're going to give you uh, something called an uh, information document request. Um, they're going to identify the scope of the audit, which is usually going to tell you the tax year, the tax form, as well as the, uh, uh, the items on that return they want to look at. And from there, you kind of actually 
go to the audit and you deal with the IRS representative. So you said for the correspondence exam, you said that that typically won't be something cryptocurrency traders will receive? I wouldn't expect it because typically that's going to be uh, some sort of difference between what you reported on your tax return and and something that's called a a third party return, um, like a W-2 or a 1099. And since really the only 1099s that are issued right now are the 1099Ks by you know Coinbase and a couple other the couple other of the U.S. exchanges, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of cryptocurrency audits to start that way. Um, and especially considering most people are worried about the Coinbase summons information as well as you know other larger kind of uh, compliance issues. Okay, got it. And so basically, at an audit, you know, it's going to be either you or you can have a representative that can be either an attorney or a CPA or another admitted person. You're going to kind of go through, you know, the items on the return. There will be a number of open-ended questions that the uh, auditors, you know, are trained to ask to try and find uh, compliance issues. They'll review a fair amount of documents. They might do something called a bank deposit analysis to see if you've reported all of your income. And then at the end of that meeting, one of two things are going to happen. One is there will be a few items that are remaining that you know you or your representative will work with the IRS to kind of resolve, or the auditor is going to kind of expand the scope and ask for additional meetings or additional information. Once that all works through, then the IRS is going to issue its exam report, and that exam report is going to uh, you know propose additional tax penalties, um, and at that point you have a certain administrative rights. But that's the basic kind of beginning to end of the actual audit itself. You know, moving ahead to the idea of a cryptocurrency audit, I have two right now. I think most people who are concerned, I think it's it's likely that most audits are going to start with one of two things happening. One is, is there's information from the Coinbase summons that is um, inconsistent with what was on a taxpayer's tax return. And I think for someone who's involved in, with that issue, they're going to have a good sense of that one because they should have gotten uh, an email notice from Coinbase that they were part of that group of about 14,000 uh, clients who they turned the information over or two, the audit notice is going to identify older tax years, 2013, 2014, or 2015, because those are the years that, that the information uh, related to. The second reason I think people will get audited is going to be um, information on the return is kind of incomplete in the sense that the taxpayer or the, the, the cryptocurrency owner reports some transactions, but there's not enough detail to really ferret out what the actual basis is or exactly what's being reported on that tax return. Recently, we partnered with TurboTax Online. Uh, our users were able to import their data from Bitcoin.tax into TurboTax Online in order to file their cryptocurrency capital gains. However, TurboTax Online limited the amount of transactions in Portable to, I believe, 250 transactions, which a lot of traders have many more than 250 uh, lines on their capital gains form. So we offer an aggregated option. TurboTax suggested aggregating the data, so we have offered an aggregated data option. Can you touch on that at all? Is that putting people at higher risk for an audit by showing an aggregated summary of their capital gains as opposed to a line-by-line specific uh, detailed report? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't know the answer that that's definitely going to increase the, the likelihood. I mean, one, to the extent that there's going to be a lot of taxpayers, I mean, a lot of people use TurboTax, right? Mm-hmm. And if that's the way TurboTax is preparing all of those returns, it would seem to me you're kind of in a herd of people like that, right? And at least right. what you're doing is consistent with what a lot of people are doing. You know, the, the second part of that is going to be 
at least those people who have um, prepared the returns in that manner, they're going to have all the underlying or should have the underlying data, right? So even if it's an aggregate reporting of each asset class as opposed to each individual trade, mm-hmm. um, if there ever were questions, then you're going to have your CSV files, you're going to have your Bitcoin.tax exports, you're going to have all the information that you need to back that up. You know, one thing that you could possibly do or, or those people could possibly do is um, add a statement, which I, I, like, I like to do with, or I recommend clients to do, is add statements to tax returns, explaining a little bit more detail about what, what they're reporting and how they're reporting it and what information they have. Um, and I know a lot of times there are options to add your own PDFs. So if you are worried about it, um, you might be able to, to export and add a PDF to the actual return that is submitted with the tax return itself. So that would be saying something like, you know, what I just mentioned, TurboTax Online um, limits it to 250 lines. I have all my my data, but I had to aggregate the data in order to fit it into TurboTax Online, something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, and I think like, you know, when I've seen the, the Bitcoin.tax um, printouts, it uses the actual 8949 form where each specific trade is identified. Uh, you, you can't get that many trades on each page, right? And so I've, I've seen some people about tax returns that have 500 or 1,000 pages. Right. Um, what, I like, what I like to do is just use an Excel spreadsheet and format it a little bit as a substitute for 8949. And you can really pack in a lot of trades you know, on that. And so it's not as quite a, as big or robust uh, attachment. Right. So taking that extra step just to ensure that the IRS knows why you're submitting your capital gains that way. Yeah. And I mean, to a certain extent, this kind of goes to what I, we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I'm a big proponent of over-reporting and I don't mean paying too much tax. I just mean including too much information, you know, cause at some point, you know, there's kind of, you know, there's two ways that your return can be flagged or there's, I guess, you know, more than two, but they can break down to a computer flags the return for some reason, or there's some sort of special, there's a special unit or um, a person actually flags it. Right. Um, at the end of the day, a human being will be looking at that return and deciding whether it actually is going to go all the way through to an audit. And so to a certain extent, I you know, kind of imagine if there's a person looking at it, I want them to completely understand what's being reported, why it's being reported. And if there's too much information, that's fine. It's less likely that there's going to, someone's going to have more questions. If it's a bare bones return, um, then I think it's more likely that someone's going to have questions and it could get flagged for audit. Yeah, that's a great point because we can't expect that every IRS worker or every IRS auditor that's looking at these returns knows a whole lot about cryptocurrency. So providing them with that extra information is only going to do you good. Yeah, I totally agree. Can you talk a little bit more about what a cryptocurrency audit looks like? Sure. So it's like I said, it's very likely going to be a field exam, um, which means you're going to have a revenue agent. And those are kind of the best of the best auditors for for an IRS audit. And remember, an IRS audit is a civil matter, okay? This is not criminal at this point. Um, and again, it's unlikely that it will become criminal, um, but it is the, the highest level of audit you're gonna get. So you're gonna get your IRS um, audit notice, your exam notice. It's gonna identify who's, who's doing the audit, what the tax years are, that's really important. Um, what the items are, and it probably will not say cryptocurrency audit, right? It's going to say Schedule D or capital gains or something right. like that to identify. Or if you have, you know, let's say mining income, and you uh, should have had a Schedule C, which is uh, for for uh, for self employment income or small business, 
um, it might identify that. Um, very likely, it's going to ask you to call the auditor and give you 10 days to do so. Um, if you don't call within 10 days, it's not like they're going to come to your house or something. But you do want to call and you do want to get an appointment on the books. Um, if you're going to hire a representative, which you have every right to do, um, you should contact that person, let them know what's going on, and probably have them interface with the auditor. Um, you should receive, as part of the opening notice or letter, uh, the information document request, which is identifying what things to bring for the auditor, you know, as well as it'll tip to what topics might be important. And for example, you know, your typical things you're going to see are going to be bring bank statements, um, any sort of, you know, I've seen it termed as financial or asset account statements, but I, I view that as requesting exchange statements or exchange CSV files. Right. Um, any documents that, uh, that, that go to cost basis for cryptocurrency trades, anything used to prepare the return, work papers, and the like. And I think one of the things that I've just seen generally with audits is that when you see an auditor who is looking to expand the scope, which means very likely other tax years, they often ask for copies of tax returns for you know, other tax years as well. And you're not obligated to provide that, to be honest with you. It's, it's not really relevant um, you know, to the audit itself, but you, you, you can selectively decide what information to provide and you have a reasonable basis not to provide um, information outside of the scope. So just because it's on the IDR does not mean that you have to provide the information to the auditor. Interesting. So if they do expand the scope and you don't have to provide necessarily past year's um, tax documents, like you said, can they audit you for those past years in order to get that information? Yeah. And, and it's kind of a, I mean, that's more of an art as opposed to a science, right? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, frankly, the auditor has a fair amount of power. So if, if you play real hardball, um, that's not going to prevent the auditor from expanding to other years. And so, it's this is when you get that audit notice and you and let's say that you're going to deal with this yourself. Um, you know the first thing you want to kind of figure out is assess what are my what are the areas that I wouldn't want to go in. What are the areas that I don't have good records, uh, and that will kind of help guide maybe the way to to respond or what you know what, what information to to pull together. But the reality is, and let's just be honest here, for most people reporting cryptocurrency gains, they have all of the information. I mean, the IRS does not have much, and they might have some records from Coinbase, but it's not as if, as if it has this treasure trove of third-party data that you might be getting. For example, if you were self-employed and, and people that paid you, as, you know, for your consulting business issued 1099s, that, that's not really there for them. Or even bank account statements, that's a great source of information for the IRS. Um, there might not be that much reflected in traditional you know, U.S. bank account statements. So... You know, the burden is really going to be, and in, in every audit, it's on the taxpayer to prove kind of that, that you know, it's tax, that their tax return is correct. But I think especially in cryptocurrency, I mean, I think probably the best tack is to have really good records that are really complete and well-rounded and provide those from the outset to show that your, that your figures are correct. And if your figures aren't correct and you update your accounting, I think it's good personally to kind of go in there and, and, and make that clear from the beginning so that you can, so that everyone can agree what is the taxable income and you don't get left with a, with a really unfair result. Now, do you think that the IRS is a bit more lenient with past years because of how few people actually reported their cryptocurrency taxes in the past? 
Define LinkedIn for me. <laughs> well, I mean, if if they open up a scope and look into your past years and they see that in 2017 and 2018, you're reporting, you have all your information, but in 2015 and 2016, crypto tax was a completely foreign concept to you. So you really didn't have regular, uh, you didn't back up your exchange files. You don't have a lot of information. Maybe some of the exchanges closed down. Um, so I guess by lenient, I just... I meant, would they kind of, would they be understanding that a few years ago, crypto taxation, that was a foreign term to most people? It still is today, but much less so, obviously. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I think the way that I would look at it is that maybe the standard of, of records required to really substantiate older years might be a little bit lower for mm-hmm. older years as opposed to now, because it's, it's different now, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot better information provided by... Um, by some of the exchanges, there's a lot more software out there to help you, um, especially for people who are newer to crypto. I mean, they should have access to all their bank records. They should be still have a lot of their emails, you know, reflecting uh, on-ramping and off-ramping or other purchases, right? You should be able to kind of pull this all together. I can understand when we have clients who come in or early adopters and they're missing, you know, chunks of information. Um, and so I, I do think that in, in those type of circumstances, yes, I think there would be a little bit of um, leniency. But I don't think if you're asking, hey, I reported my gains in 2017, but you know, I never really did it in 14, 15, or 16, I don't think that's going to be viewed very, you know, very favorably, especially for the, the group in the Coinbase, uh, the Coinbase summits. Um, right. I, I think that's where people are really kind of exposed. And it's also likely dependent on how much they made. If you if you made ten dollars in gains in twenty fourteen, they're probably not going to you know uh, harp on you too much to get that information. I'd imagine at least. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I mean, and there's also you know, there are certain statute of limitation uh, statutes of limitations that apply here. Typically, three years from the time that you file the return. It can it can be longer than that, up to six, and sometimes you know indefinite, depending on circumstances. So look, I mean, the IRS is an agency with limited um, ability for enforcement because it's not funded properly. And so as a result, I wouldn't expect an auditor just to go to the end of the earth and, and, and try to change every year. They're going to take the, you know, the years they can do, you know, have the most meaningful impact in the time that they have. Um, but that being said, it, you know, I always think when I ever work with a client or we try to reconstruct records, it's hard to pick a, a more recent date and, and start from there. You almost have to start from the very first on-ramping and kind of and move forward because, you know, as anybody who's done a lot of trading understands, I mean, this stuff just gets convoluted extremely quickly. And so to kind of port basis through or be able to, to you know, ascertain basis, you have to have a full picture, full historical picture. Um, you know, it, it's, it's nearly impossible otherwise. And actually, on that point, um, I spoke with your colleague, John Stead, earlier uh, today, and we talked about not having a full picture of your cryptocurrency trades, which does happen with a lot of people, especially early adopters, as we were just talking about. So he had mentioned uh, something that you guys conduct some sort of analysis. Um, Did you want to touch on that a little bit? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, I mean, outside of cryptocurrency, just generally in audits, I mean how many people have complete records for their, to support everything on their tax return from three years ago? Right. It's just not the reality. Right. And there's a lot of people who have incomplete accounting records for small businesses, or they don't have all their statements saved, or that's just, that's just the norm for a, for a tax controversy attorney. Right. 
And so part of, you know, part of our job is to help people rebuild those records and, uh, you know, to have a, a compelling um, analysis that will, that will help the IRS understand, hey, this is a totally reasonable um, conclusion here. And the numbers that we're saying are, are actually correct. Um, what we do, you know, John and I, is that we basically start with an interview, right? Because the best, the best source of information in a lot of these cryptocurrency, um, cryptocurrency clients are, are the clients themselves, right? They kind of know what they did and they kind of remember. And, you know, there's um, some people take good notes, other people don't. But, you know, as you go through and kind of ask people, all right, did you, what exchanges have you been on? What type of coins have you bought? Um, any ICOs? Have you ever sold for, for actual U.S. cash? Have you ever bought goods or services? As you talk through things, people tend to recall kind of what happened. And we use that information and we cross-check that against bank statements as well as CSV files to kind of pick out, all right, what do those transactions look like? Um, the other big one that we see all the time, and if anybody listening to this is listening, please hear this. Do not trade for your friends on your exchange accounts because that is just, that type of commingling causes such major problems. And essentially you are walking into those taxable gains just because you're allowing someone to you know, use your, your access to the exchange um, to make sales. Um, so all of those types of things are things that we look at. And then from there we build a record that we think is a pretty compelling one. And you know, look, there's a lot of people who, who you know, 2013, 2014, 2015 who don't have records so we do our best to kind of come up and, and recreate that. And we think it's a, um, you know, a good, good product that would be, you know, that it is uh, persuasive when reviewed by a third party. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great service because I do see a lot of people with, you know, chunks of data missing it's common and even more. So I find that many people forget that small exchange that they traded a little bit of crypto on, or that they bought a little bit of Bitcoin or, or some or some other coin on uh, even myself. I, I mean, I primarily use Coinbase and Coinbase Pro, but I definitely have used smaller exchanges in the past, and those are easy to completely forget and to gloss over. And then you have, you know, uh, those add up. You have a few uh, Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin missing, and you can't even think of where it came from. Yeah, and I mean the other thing too is even if you're missing certain you know certain files, right? Let's say from you know you know one random exchange. You know, for most people have some sort of records that at least reflect the transfer in and the transfer back out of that exchange, right? And so you can use historical data and historical pricing information to essentially estimate what that transaction would have been. Um, and then what we do is we provide a written statement, a summary of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And the reality is if you can show that and, and kind of, you know, fill those little holes, um, it, it really does kind of help in making a, you know, a complete process. Plus two, we're not making assumptions that are, that are aggressive. We're making assumptions that are, you know, frankly, very conservative. Right. There's really nowhere for the IRS or anyone else to go when they're, when they're kind of dealing with these, these issues. And one more thing, uh, you mentioned representation a few times when you were talking about audits in general. Is that a service that you offer? Are you somebody that would represent a client during an audit? Yeah, absolutely. And basically, um, you know, like I said, there's different types of people that can represent you from attorneys to uh, uh, you know, accountants, uh, all the way down to, to all the way including in, enrolled agents. Uh, my general rule is that, you know, I, I think that attorneys are, I think experienced representatives are, are really important. Um, I probably would not hire, my only, my only suggestion would be, I probably would not hire the CPA that prepared my return unless they were one experienced with being a representative in audits. 
And two, you felt comfortable that they weren't going to go in there with a conflict of interest, right? Concerned that maybe they signed a return that has issues with it. Um, but I, I do think if you're worried about going into audit, hiring or hiring a skilled and experienced rep is really, really important. Um, you know, and I think too, to the extent that you have a more aggressive position on a tax return, um, let's say 1031 like kind of exchange, right. and, but you want, you, you know, you have a lot at stake. Look, an audit is the first step of litigation. And that's the reality. And so if you don't prevail at your audit, you're going to go to the IRS Office of Appeals. Uh, if you don't prevail there or get a ruling that you want, then you're going to file a petition with the U.S. tax court or you're going to pay the tax due and file a complaint in U.S. district court. So to a certain extent, you know, when, you know, when major taxpayers, you know, top, you know, Fortune 50 companies, when they take aggressive positions on tax returns, and they don't have the CPA show up and, and represent that, they have, you know, high-powered counsel. Right, because they know that everything they do is really building towards um, challenging this in in, uh, in in federal court. So that'd be kind of my recommendation for the for the more aggressive or the the taxpayers who have you know more at stake with certain kind of legal rulings. Right. If there's a lot on the line, you want to bring the big guns with you. You don't want to hire the wrong representation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing nice about hiring a rep is that for most people, dealing with the IRS is really stressful. Right. And sitting in either a, you know, an IRS office or in a conference room with a IRS revenue agent. And that that can make someone um, feel uncomfortable. So the rep, and that's why I say experienced, if they're experienced with this, they should understand the appropriate ethical standards and go in there and kind of, you know, essentially help resolve portions of the audit to kind of um, to kind of move it to you know, a resolution that you can deal with. The other thing too that's important to understand is that an experienced rep also understands the administrative layers. And I know if I get a bad revenue agent or not a bad, but a revenue agent who's taking a position that I think is really, you know, um, unfair to my client, you know, I'll tell my client, look, let's not worry about this. Let's just kind of wrap this audit up and get to the IRS Office of Appeals because that's a whole other person who's going to be totally independent of that previous ruling. And we're going to get, a, you know, another bite at the apple. And so that's the other thing too. You don't always understand taxpayers actually have a lot of leverage in an audit. And that sounds crazy to say, but there's a lot of truth to that. And so as you're kind of working through the audit itself, you want to make sure that, you know, you're not just agreeing to something to, to be done with it. Um, you're not agreeing to something just because you think that, you know, you'll get in more trouble or you get a worse result. Um, once the audit report is generated and you get the, what's called the 30 day letter or 30 day notice um, at that point, the audit's basically over and it's on, on you whether you want to challenge it further or if you just want to pay the additional tax and penalties of interest. Right. I think the word audit conjures an image of a small padded room with a small desk in it and you are sitting there sweating bullets as you are being interrogated by an agent. I think that is the image that is conjured for a lot of people and it's an intimidating word in itself, audit. So yeah, well, don't, for, don't forget the single light bulb hanging in the center. Of the <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's just blinking, blinking as you're, as you're being grilled. So. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind too here is, look, I mean, this is a cryptocurrency. I, I, I'm convinced is going to be a huge enforcement area for the IRS, okay? But all the revenue agents working on this, I bet you very, very few are really experienced with cryptocurrency audits, um, you know, probably have a basic understanding of the landscape. I'm sure the IRS is developing some sort of guidelines and procedures for these types of audits right now. Yeah. So you want a rep who can go in there and explain, look, let me tell you how this all works. 
let me let me show you. All right, so this is what this is what on ramping and off ramping means. Here's, these are the exchanges. These are the major U.S. exchanges. This is what altcoin trading means. Here's how the spreadsheets look, and can walk them through all that. I mean, that's really the primary. I mean, that is really at the end of the day. I mean, I think most people think of a lawyer as kind of being defensive and 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 kind of protecting the client, right? And I think sometimes the best way to protect the client is to kind of hey, let's open the kimono and show you what we actually did. Here's the additional income. This is what the tax should have been. Right. Um, at the end of the day, you're paying your rep a lot of money. And the longer that goes, that may not be in the ultimate best interest for you. So can you speak to, you kind of have already, but can you go into a little bit more detail about some risk reduction strategies um, for cryptocurrency audits? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I, think the, I think the first thing that you really want to do is kind of just assess, for, for those of you that are really worried about an audit, is just assess what it is you've actually you know, what you've done over the years. When did you start trading? Um, you know, what exchanges were you on? Um, do you have records that reflect on-ramping and off-ramping? And that's going to be, you know, your bank account statements. Do you know where you've been? What exchanges you've been on? You know, if you've been on domestic exchanges, most of those exchanges, at least the, the, the ones that are trying to become more mainstream, you know, they've gone through the AML KYC process, which I'm sure a lot of people have dealt with, right? Having to provide your driver's license and social security number. So there's now a record of, of you trading on there or having an account there. Um, for foreign exchanges, you know, there may not be as much of that AML KYC compliance, but I really believe that you do have your reporting requirements under or FACA for FBARs and something called an 8938, which if you listen to the um, podcast with Tyson, he kind of explains what that is. But it, it's basically if you just you have ownership of a foreign bank account or asset, um, you have certain reporting requirements, whether you had income or not. And the reason that's such a big deal is that the penalties associated with that are enormous. So to a certain extent, just kind of getting a handle on, all right, what exchanges was I, was I on? Where are those exchanges? You know, figuring that out to see if you have a compliance issue there. Because even if you reported your gains and losses, you might have a whole foreign, foreign reporting issue that you don't even know about. Um, some of the other things I'd want to, you know, you want to make sure you at least track a little bit is when you've actually exchanged crypto for cash um, or, or vice versa. That, that's one of those areas where when people get in trouble with uh, some sort of investigate, some sort of federal investigators, it's involved with, with that type of um, those type of transactions because that could be, you know, considered potentially money laundering. Also, uh, ICOs and, um, you know, when you've used crypto for, to, to, to buy goods or services. So all of those things, that will give you kind of your, your universe of crypto activity. Um, we talked about the co-mingling. Um, really don't want to do that. If you did do it, try to get, you know, try to figure out where you did that. And then once you have that, you know, then you should have the information you need uh, either through using software or, you know, a professional to get accounting records. And once you have that, you really want to reconcile what's, what is in the accounting records with what you reported. And also what's reported on 1099Ks if you got one of those from Coinbase or another exchange showing the gross proceeds of your transactions. I think the other things you really want to do here when you're looking at your returns is for those who do, who, you know, believe that they've taken like kind or used like kind exchange rules to defer taxable gains, you should look on your tax returns to see if you filed a form 8824, which is where, you know, like kind exchanges are actually reported. And that kind of goes back to the overreporting issue I was talking about before. I mean, I, I think that if you didn't report the actual trades that you're taking like kind treatment in past years, 
I, I don't know that you've actually taken like kind of treatment, to be frank with you. Um, I think objectively that might be viewed as just not reporting certain transactions. And so that's something I would take a look at if, if that, was, uh, that was me. And then I think the, the last thing that you want to do here is that, you know, everybody listened to this and you, and you pointed, to, pointed to it or alluded to Excel, which is that, you know, three years ago, the tax reporting rules here weren't particularly clear. Like even with the 2014 notice, I mean, there wasn't a lot of guidance out there, right? And there still isn't. Right. And to a certain extent, you know, people are starting to really understand and appreciate. And it's you know, unfortunate that, you know, with this down market, so a lot of people don't want to, um, you know, are, are hesitant to, to lean into a big tax bill, right? But at the end of the day, that's just the reality. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you address these issues sooner rather than later. And certainly if you are someone who's in a position where you think an audit or some other enforcement action is, is coming down in your direction. And you mentioned uh, 1099Ks. Just briefly on that. A lot of the times the 1099K values differ from the values that we show for um, proceeds. And what I found is that that is because um, certain exchanges include your fees in your proceeds. They don't deduct the fees that you paid from your proceeds, whereas you're not actually getting that money when you pay a fee. So it really shouldn't be a part of your proceeds, whereas our report shows proceeds minus the fees that you paid on trades, for example. Um, so I, just, I guess I kind of wanted to make anybody who's listening aware of that. You know, Don't freak out if you see a 1099K form that A, looks like a ton of money that you certainly didn't make, because again, that's just proceeds, and B, looks a little bit different from the proceeds that you're seeing on our service, Bitcoin Tax. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And just to kind of do a side-by-side -side comparison. So imagine that you have, you have a stock account portfolio um, with a traditional U.S. brokerage, okay? And at the end of the year, after you made a few trades, uh, you get what's called a 1099B. And anybody who's gotten this knows it basically says that ex-taxpayer sold a certain amount of a certain type of stock um, for the gross proceeds. And it also contains the basis, right? And so that information is provided to the IRS, it's provided to you. You put that on your Schedule D, your 8949, it's totally reconciled by the IRS systems. No issues, right? The 1099K is different, right? This is actually a merchant processing uh, third-party information return. And, and it really is typically associated with people who have credit card sales. And so it's going to reflect a, a gross amount and typically on a monthly basis. I've also seen this in the area of um, kind of Airbnb and VRBO. Um, people get these as well. But it shows that the gross amount. And what I've seen too is that sometimes transfers actually get caught into that amount as well. So it's not even gross sales or you know, purchases or anything like that, but it may have other information. So 1099K can be you know, really uh, inflated. Uh, and that's why really reconciling that against accounting records is really, really important because that is one of those issues that I think could lead to, to exam. Especially with more and more exchanges sending out 1099Ks, it's very important to be aware of what exactly a 1099K is and how to interpret it. Yeah. And that's exactly why, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be prepared to respond to that, that's why you really need to preserve complete records. And that's all your exchange CSVs, you know, bank account statements reflecting uh, on-ramping and off-ramping, you know, coherent accounting, and then, you know, other types of things like emails or even keeping a log of your activity that's kind of contemporaneous with your transactions. I mean, all these things you could provide if you were audited and you had an auditor saying, oh, I see that you had X amount of, of transact or proceeds from transactions this year from Coinbase. 
The other point is you have to understand from an auditor's perspective, if they see a 1099K with, a, let's say, a million dollars of gross proceeds, mm-hmm. the burden is going to be on you to show that that's wrong, that that's too high. And that's just the reality. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you get into when you trade cryptocurrencies. That's just something you need to know. And as you said, it's reality. There's nothing we can do to change that right now, aside from just having your records and understanding cryptocurrency trading. If you're trading cryptocurrency, you should understand the taxation behind it. Most people don't, but I think more and more people are trying to at least. And that's why we're doing these podcasts. So people get a better picture of cryptocurrency taxation in general. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as people are trying to wrestle with these, as people wrestle with these issues and they want to get to a point where they feel comfortable that they're in compliance and they've taken all the reasonable steps, I think going through and figuring out, Hey, what was my taxable income? What, what records do I have to support that? And then how do they reconcile? If they don't reconcile with my past year's returns, I mean, I would amend those returns. I mean, cause to a certain extent, I mean, you're going to get ahead of, of these issues. Um, and you can at least at least take the pressure off yourself of what if I do get audited? Because yeah. you can imagine, even if you're audited for, let's say, 2017 tax return, if you've been involved in cryptocurrency for four or five or six years, like I said, everything goes back to the, um, the initial on-ramping, or for the most part it does, right? And so you can see how very what a slippery slope it is that you're going to be discussing older years and issues related to that. So it's kind of hard to have this partial compliance for a single year with respect to cryptocurrency, unless we do have some clients who just came in for six months, you know, made a lot of money and got out. Well, for that, most people, it's just a single year item. But for anybody who's been in it, been in it for a number of years or for the foreseeable future, it's going to stay in the market. It's not a problem. It's just it's going to go away. I mean, it's only going to build on itself. What do you have to say to people who say, the IRS will never catch them in terms of cryptocurrency, because there's obviously regular taxpayers, but in terms of cryptocurrency, given the nature of cryptocurrency, there's a lot of people that say we shouldn't have to pay taxes on these. They'll never catch me. I'm not going to pay taxes. It's common, especially on like social media and Reddit. There are a lot of people that say that. So what's your advice or what's your input on that? I mean, I think it's short-sighted to be frank. I mean, number one, so the current commissioner of the IRS is um, named Charles Reddick, and uh, he's a really, really well-known practitioner uh, in tax controversy. Um, I know from people that know him well that he's actually mentioned Reddit as one of the reasons that it's, it's his number one enforcement priority right now. For cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency enforcement. And I think one of the reasons, if you think about the technology and what it means to, you know, potentially means for financial transactions, how could the IRS not, you know, not try to figure out how to do this? You know, I think one of the reasons that the IRS has been so slow to provide guidance, besides the fact that it's completely underfunded, is the fact that it's a really complicated tax question, right? And this is technology that moves much faster than the tax code. And so to a certain extent, I think they're thinking through these issues. But the issues that you and I are talking about today are, are pretty straightforward, right? It's people not reporting or failing, you know, haven't fully reported their, uh, their taxable gains. And I saw Commissioner Reddick at a, at a conference about eight months ago. You know, I kind of rubbed elbows with him for a minute and I brought up cryptocurrency. And he just said, that's a good place to be for the next four or five years. Hmm. And I don't think he's joking. I mean, I think, I, I think it's really, a, you know, a, an issue of a priority for them. The other person that, I, that I've seen speak a couple of times is the head of the IRS's criminal investigation unit. Um, his name is Don Fort. And every year, um, 
he does a presentation at the National Tax Controversy and Criminal Tax uh, Conference. Last two years, cryptocurrency has been number two and number one on his list. And, and you know, as much as the IRS lacks the funding and, and the manpower that needs for all the enforcement, IRSCI, they are really, really good. And they are probably, they might be the best agency at dealing with cryptocurrency uh, enforcement issues. And in fact, they were, it was, it was that agency that really took the lead in the Dread Pirate Roberts case as far as kind of tracking and, and, and breaking down um, you know, some of the issues there. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fool yourself into thinking that this is just going to go away. And I would say certainly everyone in the tax controversy world, uh, a year ago, there weren't a lot of people talking about it. I mean, now there are panels at all these conferences on how to deal with these issues. So I really think that it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's gaining steam. And I think once the audits from the Coinbase summons you know, kind of get going, I think it's going to be um, a really, really scrutinized area. And I think you know people who've you know people who've gone through the kind of the, the cost and the pain of of disclosing and amending returns and doing everything they can will be happy that they did in a couple of years. Um, I think other people who are going to be sweating it out. I don't know if it's ever really worth it to be honest with you. And so I would recommend people do do their best to kind of get in compliance. I think that's great advice. And I, I agree completely. And it's funny because everybody in crypto wants adoption. We want adoption of crypto so that it becomes more mainstream and that is utilized more easily and there's better tax laws written for it. But with adoption is obviously going to come scrutiny and the government looking into it and the IRS and they go together. Adoption and oversight and you know the government having their hand in the pot, it all goes hand in hand. So it's inevitable. Yeah, it's, I, mean, I mean, unfortunately, or fortunately, or however you want to look at it, it's right. just a reality. And I mean, I mean, ultimately, you know, what, one of the problems here is that for people that are out of compliance or for these issues is that if you never report them, if you don't report your foreign exchange accounts, those statutes just remain open. And you just never know when these are going to come back to you. What if, what if another exchange uh, starts providing information to the IRS? Um, for anybody who wants, who wants kind of a parallel understanding, you can take a look at you know basically all of the uh, the issues with Swiss banks. You know, this is kind of what happened in the last over the last 15 years or so um, with you know the IRS getting information from all the Swiss banks and kind of prosecuting people for that. And so that that program recently wrapped up the OBDP program and it's kind of you know coming to an end. I, I really do think cryptocurrency is going to be the next wave of kind of financial um, you know financial I don't know about crimes but you know enforcement on unreported income. Right. Do you have any more risk reduction strategies that you want to share with our audience? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think for, I think for people who have potential issues with past years, you know, one is getting a, a consistent record and just amending your past years. So they're consistent. You know, you're going to address your non-compliance. And I think for people who have the foreign account issues, you know, which is that let's, let's just say, for example, um, had accounts with Binance. And that Binance account was never reported. Uh, the IRS has disclosure pro, uh, disclosure programs that allow you to amend certain returns, pay additional, pay the tax that you report, and pay a penalty, which might be you know, very likely would be five percent of the, the the highest account value that you have. For people for current year issues, uh, people, let's say you just started uh, with cryptocurrency. Like I said, I think you want to report as much as you can on that return. And to the extent that you're taking any positions where the, there's not great guidance, you know, for example, whether an, you know, an airdrop is taxable income, 
just make sure that you're consistent every single year. So whatever you start with this year or you've done in past years, keep doing it. Don't change it to give yourself a benefit, a tax benefit. Again, the foreign accounts, report the FRs. And I think, you know, ultimately do your absolute best to fully report everything as you can. You know, one of the things that I think I learned very early in dealing with audits and kind of tax compliance is that you can always make things worse. And I think for people who don't want to deal with this, I think taking evasive steps is the best way to get the worst result possible. Right. Um, and I think you really just want to address it and kind of resolve the issues while you, have, while you have a good opportunity. I think that's the overall lesson in terms of risk avoidance strategies here is that if you are not trying to be dishonest and if you are not trying to pull one over on the IRS to pay less taxes, you're very likely going to be good. You might get audited and then you'll provide the documents and you'll say, sorry, this is my mistake and I tried my best. And you're likely not going to get in much trouble. You might have to pay a fine or you know pay some extra taxes. But if you're not trying to deceive the IRS, you don't have to worry a ton. But if you're trying to defraud the IRS, that's where you're going to be in trouble. That's where people have to worry. And so I think the overall lesson, in my opinion, and this is a lesson I'm taking, is that just don't try to lie to the IRS. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, yeah I would say that's probably, probably one of the best, best pieces of advice you could ever give anybody. Yeah. Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully people understand that. But unfortunately, the reality is there are people that do not understand that. And I don't know if it's just the nature of cryptocurrency because it started as you know a, a technological generational type thing. Um, and that generation is, you know, and I'm part of that generation, but it's a generation of thinking that things don't apply to them, I guess, but people who are going to try to defraud the IRS are going to be greeted with a lot of trouble. So I think too, I mean, I, one thing I'd, I'd comment about that is that people involved with cryptocurrency, they just skew younger, right? And for a lot of them, this is the first time they've really had to deal with a real tax issue. Right. You know, and maybe they had a job before and a W-2 and, you know, you just paid your taxes withheld. But to, to get, you know, someone, someone telling you, hey, you owe... X amount of dollars in tax or all these things that you did means that you now owe more and you have to amend all these returns and pay, you know, professionals and all that. That's a tough pill to swallow. And that's also tough for a lot of people, not even in the cryptocurrency world when they don't normally kind of deal with these types of costs in their daily life or normal life. So to some extent, I kind of get it, but I think, you know, people now have to realize it's just, it's just the way it is. You know, nothing you can really do about that now. That's a that's a good view though. That's a good way of looking at it. That's like self-employment taxes, for example. Um, maybe they don't understand that they have to pay quarterly taxes. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but it's kind of in the same vein. People may not exactly. be used to it. So that's a good way of looking at it. So can you give us some predictions for IRS enforcement um, in regards to cryptocurrency taxation? Yeah, I mean, I think the two things that I'm fairly certain we're going to see, uh, one is is that we're going to see the IRS use the information provided by Coinbase and to start auditing, you know, the, I guess the biggest account holders um, from that period. I think that's very likely. And a lot of people who've, who've hired us are people that were in that group, and that's why they're trying to get ahead of it. Probably the second one that I would say is very likely is that um, you're going to see limited but probably some criminal prosecutions relating to cryptocurrency. And these are going to be people that I think have some sort of level of notoriety, whether, you know, actually famous or maybe famous in the, in the cryptocurrency uh, world. Um, and that's typically how 
know, the IRS you know, uses limited, you know, the Department of Justice uses, you know, it's limited resources to prosecute um, you know, criminal tax tax crimes. I believe that's already happening a bit with, I think, I some ICOs and some celebrities possibly correct me if I'm wrong or if you're not sure. Yeah. I, I remember reading about, you know, you had the SEC that, you know, got involved with an ICO. I don't know if it was a couple different rappers who had, you know, and, and I think, you know, unknowingly probably kind of promoted the, the, uh, the ICO, but that kind of put them on the wrong side of securities law. And the reason that they do that, you know, is frankly, because people read about it and you hear about it. People talk about tax crimes. I mean, everyone always talks about, you know, Wesley Snipes and, you know, the situation from Jersey Shore, right? There's a reason that, the, that they got prosecuted. There's other people like them that do very similar types of things. It never goes criminal. Um, but at the end of the day, the IRS wants to get the word out. I think that's very likely what we're going to see here uh, in the next you know, couple of years. Right. I mean, out of all the enemies that Blade fought, the only one that was able to take him down was the IRS. <laughs> yeah, seriously. seriously. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate all of the information you've given us today, Alex. Uh, what would be the best way for somebody to contact you? Um, you can go to my website. It's uh, kugelmanlaw.com. That's K-U-G-E-L-M-A-N-L-A-W.com. Or you can email me at alex at kugelmanlaw.com. I have clients all over the country, international clients. Uh, and if you need uh, any sort of help, whether that's you know us representing you or at least doing the, the nitty-gritty kind of audit investigation, we're always willing to talk to people and uh, you know, help them out as best we can. Awesome. And we'll put a link uh, down on the page. So in case anybody, you know, was having a hard time spelling that, we'll have that right on our page. And uh, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Al. All right. Everybody, thank you for listening to our Bitcoin Taxes podcast today. Be sure to stay tuned for future podcasts discussing a range of topics within the intersection of cryptocurrency and taxation.